Thank you, Paulette. Open your Bible this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Let me read to you verses 20 and 21. We'll be focusing our time this morning. Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. As we come to these closing verses once again, finishing up our time together here in Philippians chapter 3, I hope that as we have been walking through these closing verses of Philippians 3, that you have been motivated to pursue Christ. I hope you have seen that it is your purpose in life as a Christian to pursue Christ-likeness. And as we were introduced to these two verses last Sunday morning together, we were looking at the return of Jesus. And that the return of Jesus is one of those truths that the Bible gives us that should motivate us to pursue after godliness, to pursue holiness, to desire to put death to sin in our life. As we see here in verse 20, we're supposed to be eagerly waiting. That word there for eagerly waiting, we looked at in other places in Scripture because throughout the New Testament, especially with the Apostle Paul, he uses this word in reference to the coming of Christ. That we as Christians should be eagerly looking for, anticipating, longing, waiting, watching for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be like the family members if you've ever seen it on t television, the family members that are there at the, at the airport when their loved one, whether it's a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or, or a father or a mother, that's someone who's been off to war and they've gotten word that they're going to be returning and they're waiting for them to get off of the plane and they just see the family and they're just eagerly anticipating just to see their loved one come around that corner that they can love and they can hug and they can see them once again and be with them. That's the way we should be as God's people as we're looking for the return of Christ. This morning as we're going to come back to verses 20 and 21, I want you to see where Paul gives us two reasons why it is we should be so anticipating the return of Jesus. Let's look in verse 20 to find the first reason, and it is because of this. Because your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Notice what Paul says there again in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word he chooses to use there for citizenship speaks of a place where one has their official status. It's where that person is officially registered as a citizen. 
And beloved, as Christians here on this earth at this time, understand that we are actually a colony of foreigners. That our present citizenship is in heaven. That if you are here today as a born-again believer, your name is actually registered, it is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life there in heaven. The Bible tells us as Christians, our inheritance is in heaven. We're supposed to be treasuring up, storing up treasures where? In heaven. That we have an inheritance in heaven that is protected by God. That is undefiled. We're told that our Savior and our Lord here in Philippians 3.20, He's in heaven. Think about the descriptions that the Bible gives of us as Christians. It describes us as strangers, as exiles, as aliens. Because this is not our homeland. But our homeland is in heaven with our Lord. And what Paul wrote here, when you look again at verse 20, would have been very striking to the members of the church there at Philippi. Because remember, they are a a, a colony of Rome. Philippi had been recognized as a Roman colony. So this would have struck at their heart to see and be reminded again that ultimately their citizenship was not a citizenship of Rome, but that they were citizens of heaven. And when he refers to Jesus here, when he says we're waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would have struck them as well because Caesar, being a part of the colony of Rome, a colony of Rome, Caesar took for himself the name Lord. And he also identified himself as the Savior of mankind. And Paul was just reminding them that he was not the Savior of mankind and he was not their ultimate Lord, that there was only one and his name is Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the Lord. So they ultimately owed their loyalty to Christ. Beloved, our citizenship is in heaven as well. And we're waiting for our Savior. We're waiting for our Lord, Jesus Christ Himself, to return. As I think about our citizenship being in heaven, and I think about what all that means for us, and I think about what He says here, that we're waiting for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, I believe, last Sunday morning, as our nation drifts more and more away from God and more and more away from His Word, I'm reminded that my citizenship is in heaven and that God is my ultimate authority and Jesus is my Lord and that He is the one I owe my love and my loyalty to. We were talking about this this past Wednesday night that the, the, the 
Chinese Christians, the Christians that are living in China right now and the persecution that they are facing because of their government that is coming down on them in a very strong way, wanting them to worship the leaders of China, wanting them to be loyal to the government when their government is asking them to do things that go against the word of God. And their response to them is, we will submit to you so long as you don't ask us to do things that go against our submission to our ultimate Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, that is the way we should be. As I think about the return of Christ and my citizenship being in heaven and what that means whenever Christ comes and the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth, that when Jesus comes, the kingdom comes. And when the kingdom comes, righteousness will reign on this earth. And how I long and look for that as a citizen of heaven. Oh, beloved, do you see yourself as a citizen of heaven? Do you see yourself as Paul declares about us over in Ephesians 2, 6, that we are the ones who have been raised up with Christ, who have been seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Or as he says about us over in Colossians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 4, that we have been raised up with Christ, so keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are of this earth. You died with Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ is revealed, you will be revealed with Him in glory how this should impact our life and the way we live here and now. Beloved, as citizens of heaven, what people should be saying about us is this. They should be saying, you're not from around here, are you? Because you don't seem to talk the way I talk. You don't seem to think the way I think about things. You, you seem to be different. We understand that when someone comes to us from a, from a different land, from a different culture, from a different place, it doesn't take long before they realize you're not from around here. It didn't take long whenever I went out to seminary out in California. All I had to do was open my mouth and begin to talk and as I did, they said, you're not from here, are you? No, I'm not. And that's the way they should say is that, yes, we're here and we are citizens, but yet our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And we're waiting for our Savior, our Lord to come, our King. May we be faithful as that, as children of God, knowing that this world does not know us as it didn't know Christ. As Jesus said, we are not of this world. As He was not of this world, though we're still living in this world and we're to be sent out into this world as a part of the mission field, yet we're not of this world. And we don't listen to the world. We're told that over in 1 John in chapter 4. 
That the world listens to the wisdom of the world, but we who are of God, the children of God, we listen to the wisdom of God. Thus we listen to the word of God. We're different because of that. And I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. Where he said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this, that is, in this world. This is what we are called to do, beloved. We're called to be thinking about the return of Christ because our Savior, our King, is right now in heaven where we are actually citizens. But notice, if you will now with me for a moment, let's go back to our text in Philippians 3. And let's look at verse 21, where we see a second reason why we should be fixating on the return of Jesus. We should be looking up eagerly waiting for his return, especially in light of our purpose in life of pursuing after Christ's likeness. He gives us a second reason there in verse 21, and it is this, because at the return of Christ, our redemption will be complete. That is, our conformity to the image of Christ will be complete. And I believe this is the main point of what Paul is teaching us here in this regard about the return of Jesus. That we are eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus because when Jesus returns for the church, beloved, our redemption will be complete you will be perfectly in conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. You see, our complete redemption includes not only our spirit, but our bodies. Our bodies. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24. He says there, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. He's praying, talking about, thinking about there. The God of our peace himself bringing it to pass whereby you will be sanctified entirely. And when you are sanctified entirely, it will include not only your spirit, but your body that will be preserved complete and without blame, and he ties it to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, beloved, our sanctification will be complete at the coming of Christ because it would be there that our inner man will already have been perfected, but also the outer man, your body, will be perfected as well. It will be perfected as well. When a person who is a believer dies, their soul is immediately translated into heaven, into the presence of Christ. You go back to the book of Acts. Remember in the book of Acts where Stephen, who stood up and proclaimed to the Jewish community there that day, and gave them a history of, of Israel for them, that they should have seen Jesus as their Messiah and understanding that, and they rejected that. They were pierced to the heart, and they were gnashing at their teeth at him, and they picked up stones and began to stone him to death. And right before he died, do you remember what he prayed and what he cried out? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Because when he died, his spirit would immediately be in the presence of Christ. As Paul tells us over in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we're also told in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, it speaks there that the spirits of the righteous made perfect that they are enrolled in heaven, which means, beloved, that when that person, when a person dies as a believer, here in the church, that their spirit immediately is translated into heaven and is perfected. It is perfected. But as we also know, the body is still here. It's laid to rest in the grave. So for there to be complete redemption, entire sanctification, it also requires that our body is redeemed as well. That our lowly bodies are also fully sanctified and redeemed. Furthermore, as Christians, the life that we live now in Christ, let's just think about our redemption right now, the sanctification that's taking place in our life right now. The Bible tells us that when you were born again, you became a new creature, a new creation. There was a renewal about you on the inside that took place. But the Bible also tells us that we are being renewed day by day from glory to glory in this life now. And it also tells us that while that's happening on the inside, the Bible also tells us that our bodies are decaying, deteriorating, and that they are actually in need of being disciplined. Look with me for just a moment over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at verse, beginning in verse 16. 
where he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, and we can all stand up here and testify to that, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that's our bodies, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed while we're in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Notice, if you will, for a moment over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, where we're told, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, you see, into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. Right now, beloved, as you're living life, as he says here in 2 Corinthians 3 and in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, that you are being renewed day by day as we by God's grace put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And a part of why we're here, we're longing for, we're looking for that day, as Paul says here, where we will actually get to, to have that building from God, that house not made with hands that will be eternal in the heavens. We'll be clothed with the body that God will have for us. We're going to look at here in just a moment that we're in need of you see, our outer, our inner man is being made more like Christ. But yet our outer man, our bodies, our flesh, our humanness in that sense, it's weak. The Bible tells us the spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. It's interesting when you look back at our passage in Philippians 3.21, how did Paul refer to our bodies? He referred to it as the body of our humble state. Over in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, there he refers to it as the body of death. That is, we currently have an unredeemed body that is susceptible to sin. Sin is still present in the flesh. Thus our physical body is a headquarter, headquarters for sin to operate. It can be a vehicle that we can either use to bring honor and glory to God or use to bring dishonor to God. Thus we're going to need for our bodies to be changed. That's why 
as we speak about the Christian life, when we speak about sanctification, that we talk about it being a battle. It's a daily battle in our life as believers. As we pursue holiness, as we try to discipline ourselves for godliness, as we're pursuing after Christ, it is a battle that we have. Paul speaks about this battle. You look with me for just a moment. Turn over to to Romans chapter 7 for just a moment. Look over to Romans chapter 7. He's struggling with things he wants to do. He, he's not doing and things he doesn't want to do, even as a believer that he's doing. And he says, beginning in verse 18, if you would, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And he gives the answer in verse 25. Thanks be to God, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Christ who's going to give us that victory. Over in chapter 6 of Romans, in verse 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we could no longer be slaves to sin. Beloved, that ultimately is going to happen for us at the resurrection. Notice what he goes on to say there in Romans 6. Verse 7, For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves, that is your body, to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says over in Colossians 3, listen to this quickly for just a moment. He says over in Colossians 3, we, we read this a little bit last time together, where he was talking about your life is hidden in Christ, and when Christ appears and is revealed, that you will also be revealed with him in glory. And he says, therefore, knowing this reality, consider, notice what he says, the members of your earthly body as dead. 
dead to immorality, dead to impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, idolatry, using your mouth and speech and abusive speech from your mouth and slander and malice and wrath and anger. Lay aside those things. That's why Paul says of himself over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27 that he didn't want to disqualify himself after he had preached to others, thus he disciplined his body so that I myself would not be disqualified. Romans 12, 1, it's to present your bodies as a holy and living sacrifice. You see, your unredeemed humanness, your unredeemed flesh, your body, is going to remain with you in this life. And if you die, it will be laid to rest and it will return to dust. The Bible says, from dust you were taken, to dust you will return. Yet, from the beginning of the creation of man by God, it has been God's intent for man to live with God forever and to live with God forever as both having a body and a soul. A body and a spirit. Go back and read it in Genesis. When God created Adam, he created and formed his body and then he breathed into him his soul to live with God. So you see, beloved, our redemption has a physical aspect to it. It's not just spiritual, it's physical as well. That you're going to have an actual body to worship and serve the Lord. And this is what Paul is teaching us. As we go back to Philippians 3. Go back to Philippians 3. And what he's saying is, we're eagerly waiting for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Observe carefully there in verse 21. What is it that's going to be transformed? It's going to be your actual body. He says he's going to transform the body of your humble state. Yes, the body that we have right now. And the word that he uses there for transform is the word that we have for schematic. So he's saying he is somehow, some way going to take your body and refashion it, redesign it, transform it so that when he is, transforms your lowly body, it's going to be in conformity with the body of his glory. The result's going to be that where there for conformity speaks of morphe, of being morphed, it's going to be conformed into the glorified body of Christ. Same character. The same nature that is there that Christ enjoys 
we would joy. We're not going to become God. There's only one God, the one true and living God. We don't become little gods. But we are made into the image of Christ. And remember, beloved, this is, this is the way God created us to be. Did He not make us in His image? God, by His power, this will be done by His power, Paul says there, by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. He's saying it's all done by God's power, the same power that he has and the same power that he will use and he will exercise when he subjects. That is, that word for subjection there means when he arranges everything in order. When God comes to arrange everything in order and he will arrange everything in order. When Christ even comes here and establishing his kingdom, he's going to arrange this world in order, physically, socially, culturally, spiritually. All. And when he's able to do that, beloved, he's able by his power to transform our bodies into conformity with the body of Christ's glory. That's why, as Paul says, as we read a moment ago over in Romans chapter 7, in verses 24 and 25, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that will set you free. I don't know exactly how the Lord's going to do all that any more than I can explain to you exactly how it was that the Holy Spirit, that the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. I can't explain how that happened. I know it did happen because the Bible says it happened. But I can't explain to you exactly how all that will take place. I can't explain to you exactly how all of this will take place. But it's going to happen because God's Word says it will. And we can get a little picture of it. If you will, for a moment, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 42, I'll read. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That doesn't mean it's going to be, it's not going to be something physical to it. It's just saying that you're now, when you are raised from the dead, when you have this resurrection and this glorification that takes place, your body now is going to be able to perfectly carry out the will of God. It's not going to be subject or susceptible to sin. And you're going to be able to carry out perfectly what it is your spirit is wanting to do. That's going to want to perfectly do what God says. 
So also it is written in verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. God has promised this for us. That when Christ comes... And for us, when Christ comes for the church, we will be transformed. Whether it's someone who has died as a believer in Christ or someone who's alive, when Jesus comes, we will all be transformed into conformity with the body and the glory of Christ. And this perishable will put on the imperishable. And this mortal will put on immortality. You see, that is when it will all be complete for us. So that's why when you think back to what Paul says there in Philippians 3, that's why we're eagerly waiting I'm I'm waiting for Jesus to come. I'm looking for it. I'm longing for it. I'm praying for it. Because when He comes, I will be transformed into conformity the image of Christ. Beloved, this ought to motivate us to fix our hearts on the coming of Christ. And it ought to help us in our pursuit for Christ-likeness. We need to study about this. We need to think more about the coming of Christ. We need to pray about the coming of Christ. Remember what I shared with you on Wednesday nights when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew, there in Matthew 6, where Jesus is talking about the disciples' prayer. And He says, we're praying for His kingdom to come. Beloved, when you pray for the kingdom to come, you're praying for Jesus to come. Because the kingdom's not coming until Jesus comes. I'm not saying there aren't aspects of the kingdom here. There are, because there's always spiritual aspects of the kingdom. But all of what's described in the Old Testament of the, of the things that will be here and that's going to take place, that comes when Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, the kingdom is coming. And we're supposed to be praying, Oh God, may your kingdom come. As John closed the Bible for us in the end of Revelation, he's saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Pray about it. Think about it. Study about it. Talk about it. But maybe... Maybe for just some of you here today, there's really no eagerly waiting for the coming of Christ because there's really no battle going on in your life. There's no battle over sin in your life. And maybe there's no battle because there's no war. And the reason why there's no war is because there's really been no change. The outer and the inner are still together. See, remember what happens when you get saved 
and converted. It happens on the inside of you. But there's no war that's taking place for the unbeliever. The unbeliever doesn't struggle in that way because they're in agreement. There's no war in between the spirit and the flesh as talked about in Galatians because there's no change. There's no presence of the spirit even in their life. And beloved, if that would be you this morning, recognize that and don't harden your heart to it. But instead, humble yourself before God and call out to God to save you. Repent, truly repent, and truly put your faith in Christ. And may today be that day of salvation for you. May God bring you to Himself. Come now, don't wait, don't delay. Don't look back, but look to Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.